There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Uh, Great to be talking with you again and I'm really looking forward to today's show. We're going to talk about making what you love your living uh, with guest Shirin Shabastari. And I think this is a really, really important subject, you know, about following your passion, whether you should do it or not, and maybe changing your life circumstances uh, to do it. Should you take that risk, shouldn't you? Um, and something that a lot of us um, face. Um, but before I go into that in uh, much more detail, I'd like to say a big thank you to Matthew Pollard, who was my guest last week. And Matthew was talking about uh, a sort of sales system for um, introverted people. Um, I think whether you are introverted in your outlook or not, in your sort of personal style, it was really, really valuable with some great insights and thoughts about how to be more effective with your with your selling. So if, if sales is something that's important to you, whether you're a salesperson or non-salesperson, with an introvert or an extrovert, I would go back in the archive and listen to it uh, and take a pen and paper because you talk quite quickly. There was a lot of information that flowed through. So let's talk about today's show and about making what you love your living. Something that I feel very strongly about and have done with my own life is is follow a personal passion. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the consequences of doing that, it can be a, a tough call. There are, there are arguments that it isn't always wise. You know, some people have given up regular jobs with a regular income uh, and suddenly they don't have the security that they had uh, with their families. And the world is actually littered with, with failed business stories. And the question is, do you stay or do you go for it? Because if you don't, then maybe you're going to regret it for the rest of your life that you didn't have the courage to do it. So an interesting um, subject here, and a real kind of life-changing subject. Now, my guest today is Iranian-born, London-based mother of two, Shirin Shabastari. And Shirin grew up hiking in Iran's beautiful mountains with her father uh, as a young girl. And she later moved abroad. Uh, she uh, did her studies and she started a family. Um, but it was on an ascent of the 5,602-meter-high Damavand in Iran, um, which was a childhood dream that really rekindled a love and passion for the mountains. And from then on, she's been dedicating a free time to the outdoors, taking up climbing, going on annual trips to the Alps, and becoming a regular to local indoor climbing wall. But in 2014, she founded Persian Pursuit, leading treks and ski expeditions to Iran. Uh, and she's therefore very passionate about this and she's also very passionate about sharing her passion and stories for the mountaineering world in Iran with the West and inspiring people to visit what is a very misunderstood country. Um, so we're going to really discuss now, I think Shirin's going to be a great person to do this, she's a few years into her business, uh, she's taken the leap, she's followed her passion, it's, uh, it involves her being away quite a bit from home, um, but you know, a great person to discuss the pros, the cons about following your passion and uh, we're going to gain some insight as well into Shirin's experience and learn more about Iran and, you know, why is it misunderstood? Um, you know, what is Iran really like? So uh, a big, big welcome to my guest today, Shirin Shabastari. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, and Shirin, um, we're, we're not talking to you in Iran. Where, you're, where are you based at the moment? I'm in so London I'm... at the moment. Uh, very, yeah, pretty cold here. 
Pretty cold. Yeah, we've got snow due tomorrow, I think, on Sunday up here. Yeah, in the Midlands. yeah it might happen here too, hopefully. We might, uh, we're always, yeah, excited about the possibility of a snow here. Oh, yeah. It rarely it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does, get, does it get exciting? Suddenly, big feel childlike again. <sighs> get up and things like that. So, t- yeah. Sharon, you, you, were, you were brought up in, in Iran. Tell us about your, about your childhood. So, yeah, I was born in Tehran, um, funnily, on the same day that uh, Iraq actually attacked Iran in the seven-year war between Iran and Iraq broke out. So, um, great entrance to the world for me. Uh, But, yeah, the first seven years of my life was actually during the war, and I remember some of it. I remember the kind of first few years at school and having to run for shelter every time the sirens went off and kind of distant noise of bombings. And um, But I was very, very lucky that I was not in the forefront of the war and everyone uh, from my family who was involved in the war made it back safe. Um, but also extra lucky because I had the best uh, distraction ever that a girl could ask for. Um, in a country like Iran back then and that was um, the outdoors and the mountains because my dad was a head of a mountaineering club and he started taking me up the hills very early on. I mean, I lived in a small town just outside Tehran at a foot of a th- almost 3,000 meter mountain and um, early on from when I was five, my dad would take me every weekend up these hills and they kind of became my uh, weekend playgrounds really. Um, so yeah, that is kind of kind of lived oh yeah i think i was um 23 when i left iran and moved abroad ah, and and how you know how does does iran uh, differ uh, you know from the west what what do you obviously live in london now what 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 is different it's very very different i think um the Iran that I know when I lived in Iran and the Iran that people know here is very, very different. And that's always come as a bit of a shock to me. So when people hear that I'm Iranian or I visit Iran, they've kind of always said, oh, is it safe? Or are you sure you want to take your kids to Iran? And um, how can you go climbing? Or they get surprised to hear that there's a skiing in Iran. And um, so I think it's the perception of what Iran is, is that it's very different. Um, that is, you know, most people, if you, I mean, I often ask people, what comes to your mind when you hear the word Iran? And uh, most people would just say nuclear weapons, terrorist attacks, or the images that comes kind of to people's mind is often angry bearded men um, mm-hmm. shouting slogans against the U.S. or burning the, you know, flags. And, and uh, you know, th- th- that stuff is happening in Iran, but it's very small minority of of the reality of Iran and that's not the Iran I know the Iran I know is close-knit families lots of laughter fun music um, good food mountains a lot of hospitality rich culture history and and the list just goes on and on I've not actually I've not spoken myself in Iran I'd like to do it one day but a number of my speaker friends who have they come back with you know, really, they're really surprised actually by mm. you know, how how welcoming, hospitable, um, how well educated um, people are in Iran. Uh, it comes as a real shock to them. Um, where where yeah. do you think this misconception comes from? I think it's very much media driven. Unfortunately, the mainstream media, um, which is um, very political is just kind of focused on one aspect of Iran and its politics and the other sides of Iran it's 
tourism, potential for tourism, its culture, a lot of it doesn't get talked about. So what people hear and know is only through what they see on the media, which is very biased. And unfortunately, not a lot gets written or told about the other aspects of life in Iran. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess, I guess you know, uh, I won't ask you to share too much about you know the the politics over there with um, oh, work you do <laughs> but uh, you know it's, it's it 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 feels oh, like I the, think I've the lost you. have you can you hear me oh yeah i can now that's great okay um yeah we, we won't go too much into the politics in in iran but it does it does seem that the the, the politics do seem and the the culture due to the politics seems quite extreme um to us in in certain ways you know maybe freedom for for women and that sort of thing is that is that justified or is again is that media i think that's again media i think many people who have gone to iran they've been very very surprised to actually see a very different um scene there i mean you enter iran and immediately what hits you is a massive presence of iranian women doing many things i mean from banks to schools schools to universities if you go to Tehran probably half of the drivers in the city driving are female which is very very unique for I think uh, uh, you know compared to the other Islamic countries um, so I think it's a misrepresentation sadly and I think people who actually make that move and go and see Iran for themselves are definitely up for a surprise yeah yeah well, well what, tell us about mountaineering then. I mean, what is it that you really love about mountaineering and uh, why you obviously mountaineer in places like the Alps? Um, yeah. But why why Iran? I think the seed was planted in Iran. I think when my dad started taking me, I got a taste of what, what it would give me. And um, what it meant back then was a complete different life to what I was experiencing back in the cities. Uh, when a... a I mean, being, I was in a very privileged position to be able to go to the mountains as a very young girl with my dad. And I was the only girl often in on those expeditions or treks and hikes. Um, and the amazing thing was how different I was being treated or I, I was experiencing things up in the mountain with, with all my dad's male friends who would sit and around the same, you know, um, tablecloth and eat food from the same table and we would sleep in the same tent and we would kind of face the same challenges and I often actually do better on uh, you know being obviously every weekend on the mountains you know I was only nine when I climbed Iran's third highest mountain which is 4,850 and there were a lot of cases where I would actually perform better on the mountains but I would come down to the city and suddenly it was a different world for me and I had to cover my hair and I had to sit separately with women and the women would only talk about what women mostly did back then which was just mm -hmm. kind of family stuff and 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 so what i saw in the mountains was a world that gave me freedom a world that gave me a platform to almost feel like an equal to the other gender and to have equal dreams and passions and i really owe it to my dad because he would take me up mountains and point to different peaks and say, well, that's, you know, that's Kahari and it's 4,000 meters. He can definitely do that. And he, he, he taught me or encouraged me to dream and to have aspirations and make me believe that I can. And he never, it, w it was never mentioned that I'm a girl or, you know, you can't do any of that. And that kind of, I think that gave me an attitude um, to life in general that I became a dreamer and I always mm -hmm. wanted to achieve things. So for me, it was very normal to 
because that's what I did every weekend to go up a mountain and it's not easy you know for a child to wake up early and put shoes on and walk and you know I couldn't I learned so much about life it was big lessons that I had to be patient and I had to kind of work hard to get to the top and um and plan my rests and and um, and eventually, after working hard and maybe six hours of walking, I will get the reward, which would be the summit view and and that feeling of achievement. Um, and that kind of stayed with me. That um, kind of urge to have a goal in life, to have to something to strive for, and be ready to work hard towards that. It was very normal for me back then. We didn't have really good gear. Every time we came down, I had black toes, <laughs> would lose a nail or two, and, yeah. but that was part yeah. of. Part of it for me was a price that I was happy to pay to experience that world. So afterwards, I mean, unfortunately, um, I had to stop all this when my dad um, had a heart attack and he stopped climbing. I was 15 or so. And that was the year we wanted to climb Damalvan together, which was the highest in Iran. And I had aspirations beyond Damalvan. I wanted to go and climb in the higher ranges in Himalaya. Everest was a big dream. And as soon as dad couldn't climb, I realized Basically, I had lost all that privilege and I realized that, well, I, I needed a man to take me up these mountains. And now that dad's not there, I can't go up on my own anymore. And I was really disillusioned and I actually stopped climbing and in, and, and just completely shifted my attention to just studies. And I got married and moved abroad, had kids. And only until I think it was back in 2012 when I decided that there's something big is missing and I went back to it all. Mm. So, so you've, you've um, <coughs> created this business called Persian Pursuits. You know, tell us a little bit about that and its vision and purpose. And we've got about four minutes, I think, until we go to commercial break now. Yeah, with Persian Pursuits, I think, in, you know, I was an English teacher and I kind of decided that, um, might talk about this a little bit later, but basically I wanted to do something with climbing and the outdoors. I felt something was missing and I think the timing felt right and I created of a company through which I could take people to Iran and, and share my passion uh, and my love for the mountains of Iran, which are very special to me, and also raise awareness about uh, Iran and its geography and its culture and rich history, because I realize people know very little about it, to be honest. Yeah, so, so you're, you're taking expeditions and parties out there? That's right. So it's a tour operating company based in London. And um, the idea was that this is the only company that specializes in um, organizing treks and skiing trips and uh, all kind of outdoor adventures as well as cultural trips to Iran. And I felt like I was in a great position to bridge the gap between Iran and here, having lived here and kind of knowing what people expect and what people know and don't know and having grown up in Iran and knowing the language and having all the contacts, I definitely felt like I was in a great position. Uh, so I went for it. So and how do you, um, you know, how do you kind of share this with people in such a way that it really engaged you? So, you know, if you say, you know, fancy coming on a great skiing trip to the Alps or we're going to go and do this in the Himalayas. Um, would you like to run? <laughs> well, with the first um, one, I kind of thought I wanted to do one trip and I just asked friends if they wanted to be my guinea pigs and come on one of my trips. And I think after that, it was just word of mouth and I was just mm. social media and just sharing the story. I think the biggest thing for me was to, to add that personal Thing, story to, to the business and um, encourage people to come and see Iran with an Iranian who has loved and grown up in its mountains and, and had a passion for it. And so it's a journey that they start with me before they actually go and visit the country and hopefully 
get a bit of my enthusiasm before they go and then again visit it for themselves and come back and yeah so it's a whole thing going with an Iranian experience the country with an Iranian and come back and make your own judgments about it yeah it actually does seem like a you know a wonderful opportunity to to go with somebody like yourself and experience a, com- a country that we you know probably in the, the west don't really know an awful lot about and the reality right. of um, and the, the and the culture of, um, so uh, sounds um, sounds really great. And um, do you see yourself, you know, having, you know, a you know, really big intensive calendar of many many activities and a big team and. Yeah, I think I'm going to keep, keep it, it small. fairly small. I think I like it to be uh, because I'd like to accompany my trips and be part of it. And obviously, there's only as much <laughs> trips yeah. I can squeeze into a year. So what I'm planning to do is to keep it small, keep it special, keep it personal. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, we'll start to talk a little bit about following your dreams. I think, uh, and uh, you know, Sharon's experience of doing that as well so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes so do join us then when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Shirin Shapastari. We're talking about making what you love your living. And we've been talking about mountaineering and about Iran and Persian pursuits. I should also say a thank you to... Our mutual friend, Cathy O'Dowd, who introduced us. Cathy is famous for being the first person to uh, to climb Everest from both sides. And um, she's uh, a South African who's uh, based, I think, in Andorra these days. And if you're interested in uh, this, her story around mountaineering, do go into the archive and uh, Google, sort of look up uh, Cathy O'Dowd in the, the list of shows at Voice America uh, at dot com for the Be More Achieve More show, and you'll be able to listen to that show from the archive. 
So one of the questions I was asking uh, uh, Shiran uh, during the uh, interview, so the, the interval, was um, actually what are these mountains like? Uh, you know, are they snowy? Are they dry? And so, Shiran, do you want to maybe just uh, share a little bit about what the Iranian mountains are like? Because um, yeah, them a absolutely. Bit better. So when I was little, I just remember climbing these mountains which are dry and rugged and hot <laughs> and we would often obviously summer holidays you know we're at a time when we um, climb the higher ones but the approaches were very very hot and we often um, used to just desperately look for a stream to kind of just put dip our heads and to cool down and I always watch these films about the Alps and how green and um, you know, uh, beautiful they are. And it's amazing once I've actually moved abroad and I actually lived in Austria for a couple of years and had a chance to go and explore the Alps and do some hiking in the Alps and, and a bit in the Himalayas as well, trekking the Himalayas. Um, and I only then realized how beautiful and unique the mountains in Iran are. Um, yes, they're dry and rugged, not everywhere. I mean, we have two huge mountain ranges. The Zagros stretches from the northwest of Iran a parallel to the Iraqi border and an uh, Alborz mountain range from northwest of Iran to um, northeast, kind of skirting around the Caspian Sea. And altogether, there are over 280 peaks, over 4,000 meters, which is absolutely you know, amazing. Um, and the highest mountain in Iran is 5,610 meters, and it's the highest volcano in Asia. It's the highest peak in the Middle East. And um, and this, these all these mountains, especially Albor, so it's very dry and rugged uh, facing south because that's where the deserts are. So from Tehran and um, the southern um, perspective, they're, they're quite dry. But then as soon as you descend to the Caspian Sea, it's quite alpine and very green. Um, but there is, I mean, more than 50% of the country is mountainous, which means that, and probably a lot of the villages are over 2,000 meters high. So uh, we get a lot of snowfall in Iran and we get really serious winter conditions. And so skiing, for example, is one thing that most people wouldn't think you can do in Iran, but it's actually, it's got brilliant skiing to offer. Mm. Oh, brilliant. And, and all these mountains, are, are, these, are these safe? Can you, you know, walk to your heart's content? Yeah, I mean, they are an old mountain range that are quite slopey. I mean, there's a few ranges or a few uh, clusters that are a bit more rugged and a bit more um, jagged and difficult, but it, they all have very easy trekking routes with uh, fairly easy uh, paths that you can find. Um, they're not signposted as you would ha maybe have in the Alps or, you know, there are a few huts here and there. Uh, but usually, I mean, there's a real culture for hiking in Iran. So if you go on a weekend, you, you would definitely bump into a lot of Iranians enjoying the outdoors. And you're not going to bump into... Uh, these stereotypical people in uh, with beards and turbans and rifles, <laughs> hostile. <laughs> oh, definitely not. No, I think most people who go to Iran come back saying, "Oh, it was one of the most hospitable countries that day." Even, even like from the moment you arrive at the airport, I think, honestly, I think that's just a myth, and it's this, um, like you said, a stereotype. Um, Iranian people love to kind of show the West and and the world that um, that they're not terrorists, that they're actually um, very, very similar to us. They're going through the same kind of uh, problems in life and they share a lot of our, you know, the same problems and everything. So, um, yeah, regular people who are desperate to show you the real side of Iran and they'll probably offer you a cup of tea and invite you over. Excellent. I, I'm already starting <laughs> to feel like I want to go. 
you should. <laughs> and I know, I know the person to take me there one day. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about about following your dreams. Then, I mean, what advice would you give to people about? Uh, you know, might be contemplating at the moment. They may be sitting yeah. in there. Maybe they may be Engli- an English teacher right now, or they're uh, <laughs> sitting in their corporate corporate uh, job or w- whatever they're doing, and they've been got this little this little sort yeah. of feeling in their mind, thing in the thought in the mind that just won't go away. Yeah, I, I think if you're dreaming, you're already halfway there. I think um, you've got only one life. You have to live it. I mean, I was an English teacher, but it wasn't going very well for me as much as I loved it. And I, I think, um, you know, something that works for you at one point in your life may not work for the rest of your life. So when I moved to the, to England, um, being an English teacher in London was not, <laughs> I was probably not in the best position. I, it's a very commercial world, um, foreign language schools, and people don't want to come and pay money here to learn English from someone called Shirin Shabasai Khiobani. <laughs> so I, it wasn't going very well for me, even though I had a master's from King's College in English language teaching. So I didn't feel, I was quite let down by the industry, to be honest, and I was not getting that satisfaction. And and I just, and as I said, I, I felt like I was, was missing something big I had missed that kind of big goal in my life and and I love creating things and working hard for it so when I the idea came I just went for it I think th- th- there is maybe a period where you're contemplating but don't overthink too much I think you just have to go for it um, there are a million things that might go wrong but pro- probably a lot of it won't and a lot of things might actually go well for you so it's just worth a try and I definitely would recommend anyone who's got an idea Go for it. Do it. I'm sure you won't regret. Mm. I'm just sort of thinking now. You know, quite a lot of people do study languages, and uh, and I've sp- sort of spoken to students before. They'll maybe learning Spanish or something, and so I'm mm. going to go and get a job in Spain. <laughs> and I kind of think, well, when you go to Spain, you can speak Spanish. <laughs> almost as good as the locals you've got quite a lot of competition <laughs> absolutely yeah I was I was in a very good position when I was in Austria but as soon as I came over here you know it didn't work out for me yeah but but I think there's um the thing about doing this if you've got a you know very stable life and maybe you've got mm. a stable income I remember my you know my wife married a High earning executive, and then he decided to throw it all the way in my parents' eyes. <laughs> you know, all this great schooling I'd had, and suddenly I decided I wasn't going to work in these corporate yeah, jobs, or yeah. I was going to go and do my own thing. And and they're, they're wondering what on earth is he doing? Um, mm-hmm. you, you suddenly have quite a lot of you know, by suddenly following a different path, you can find quite Absolutely. a few people who are not necessarily so supportive. Totally. I think it's even harder when you're married or you have kids or you're in charge of other people. But you just have to, I guess, I have, um, I don't know, I read this somewhere. And I think that's really a good way of looking at it. I think you have to do what's necessary <laughs> and then do what's possible and then, then aim for the impossible. So as long as your kids and your family are looked after, they've got a roof above their head, they're fed, you know, you've got a fairly okay life. And, and as long as you're not too ambitious, then you can venture into kind of dreaming bigger. Um, you have something has to give and that might be your security and the fixed income um, but usually in the long run um, you know things works out yeah do, do you think I mean I, I don't know <clears throat> do, do you have a sort of uh, you know are you a spiritual person anyway do you have a um, a kind of belief that you know you've got a journey that's meant to happen or do you have any that that kind mm. of a, a steer going on or 
A little not. bit, maybe. Not that much, but I, in some ways, I've always felt like I've had to fight a battle. I've had to swim against the currents, and and, and that's just made my life richer, and I, and I, and I really enjoy that. So I definitely feel like I'm on a mission, <laughs> and more, more so in a way that I'd like to inspire other people, other women, other moms to go and follow their passions, because I think there's a lot out there... Um, you know, a lot of, especially in societies which are a bit more traditional, like Iran, I don't know a lot of moms who would venture into things like this, which involves traveling and, uh, you know, putting yourself maybe at some degree of risk. Um, and and I think that's the only thing. I feel like I, I'm, I need to give something back and I want, and I'm on a mission and I want to inspire. Uh, yeah. I think you've got some very interesting. It's a very quite a tight niche, isn't it? You know, you're being being you know female from Iran, and uh, you're taking trips, mountaineering trips, and hiking trips, and skiing trips to Iran. It's um, you, you found quite a nice um, a nice tight niche in terms of people understanding what you you know what you do, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I imagine you've probably found quite a you know maybe an interesting gap there in the marketplace because of your uniqueness and relationship to the country. I think so. What what happened was, um, I guess the idea for the company and the and the business um, started when I kind of realized that okay, people don't know much about Iran, and I'm going to Iran's mountains very frequently, and I get all these questions about mountains there. And um, so initially, I was like, oh, why don't I take a bunch of friends and just see, you know, show them Damavan and climb Damavan with them? But this coincided with. Um, Iran having a new president and slowly slowly opening up so it was a matter of timing as well and me being in a in a period you know in a, at a point in my life where I was let down by my other career and I was kind of just looking for something to fill that gap and all of a sudden yeah I kind of realized that well actually that's what I might be able to do but very immediately I realized that there are a lot of companies in the UK that are running trips to Iran but what was missing was I mean these were companies big companies that are running trips all around the world and Iran was one of them and um, so that personal thing was missing in there so it was kind of okay yeah you sign up then you go to the country you meet a guide there but you don't you know um, and all that and again, it's bringing my personal and my background story into the business as well and using that as a strength. And I kind of the fact that I've grown up hiking those mountains and now I want to take people back to those mountains and share that. I think that was a big winner when it came to talking about my business. And I made a film about it, too, with um, with a producer. And since then, I've gone around the country giving talks at various outdoor clubs and, um, you know, university clubs and and, and, and it's just putting that face into a business and adding that personal side and, um, and, and people then immediately, you know, connect with you and want to come and experience. experience. And, and how have you found, you know, it's very interesting this in that, you know, you're, you have a passion there for the mountains and mountaineering and, and walking and it's very clear in talking with you that you're somebody who really connects and gets on well with people um, however, how have you found uh, the sort of business side of setting up a business? Because, uh, you know, you, you, you can be, you know, have a passion, mm-hmm. but then there's this thing called yeah. a business, which it requires you to sell, to market, to have, you know, financial systems to yeah. you know, get to the people and 
create collaborations and you know, <laughs> there's a whole whole world there that suddenly opens up that you have to start to think oh about. god it was the biggest learning curve ever in my life especially going from academics then pushing a bug around the block and having enjoying a coffee in my hand to suddenly setting up a business there was just so many new things that i didn't know about and i'm still you know and when it came to accounts and figures it was rubbish and so i kind of got help from an accountant and but i think um it is hard, but if you, and that's where the, the passion helps. When you're passionate about something, so you, it's not a chore anymore to kind of go and find out about the, how those things work. And so I was very, very keen on learning how I can register as a tour operating company or what I need to look at and, you know, terms and conditions and getting liability insurance and things like that. So there was a lot that I had to learn within these three years so far this is my third year in business but I think the key thing for me was the fact that I was very enthusiastic I've definitely made sure that I try to pass that enthusiasm um, across to anyone who's interested in coming on my trips um, just um, networking has been a big thing for me I've, um, I'm a very you know sociable person anyway I like to meet people I network I go to a lot of outdoor events I always look at possibilities of collaboration whether it's a magazine article or a film. Um, I'm out there talking to people. That's how I met Kathy O'Dowd that you mentioned earlier as well. And I think that's how very slowly you kind of rise up the ladder. I went from just having four people on my first official trip and kind of worrying, oh, my God, is it going to work? And another ski trip not happening because I didn't get enough people on it, too. Last year, two of my signature trips, my trek and ski, basically got fully booked with 10 people on it. And I had a couple of other tailor-made trips. So, you know, I'm still not quite there in terms of it completely established business yet but I'm definitely seeing this business going from strength to strength um, so I think networking um, and all of the things that I just talked about um, the passion trying to bring that across using social media uh, definitely helped you're, you're very clearly a very outgoing um, sort of person <clears throat> do you think um, setting up business and pursuing a dream is is right for everybody well, this is a very difficult question. I think it depends on the individual and, and the type of business. <laughs> in my case, because this is a business where people, in a way, are putting their life in your hands and coming yeah. over to a country where it's, you know, a country where sometimes the FCO's advice is, I don't go unless it's essential type of, you know, and um, you, you got to have to have that kind of um, personality of, being able to connect to people, reassure people that it's going to be okay. And uh, so for my type of job, I, I think it's necessary to to have this personality. But maybe there are other types, like maybe you're dreaming to become an, uh, an artist or a writer or, you know, have a different kinds of business. And so you just have to see what is required for that. Uh, I think for this business, networking is definitely key and important. You definitely need to be approachable. People asking me, sending me emails, they're worried about safety. I get the same question over and over again from themselves, from their families. Are we going to get kidnapped in Iran? Are we going to be, you know, it's, it's, but, but it's something that I love to do. I love to reassure. I love to inspire. So, yeah, it worked for me. I think um, I kind of wonder with these sorts of things, too, um, from my experience, I think you have to you have to see the in the way that this um, idea that you have, um, or the passion that you have unfolds over time because you can easily measure yourself on 
you know the results in the last month or mm. uh, or the last quarter, and uh, be stressed about the next next quarter. But the reality is that uh, you know a lot of people that I've spoken to who've really followed a passion. It's taken it's taken weeks, months, years to mm, yeah. really often. You know, it's, it's not very oft, often that people really get things off the ground very very quickly. No, I mean it's, it it can happen, but it's it's not the norm. It can take many years, and I suppose you only you have to look at people. I don't know, like uh, you know Leonardo da Vinci or, <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or Van Gogh. I was thinking of one I was trying to think of. You know, who actually that, yeah, you know, yeah. become, but Van, became more become more famous after they Van Gogh. After, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, I what what really helped me was connecting with people who had done similar stuff so a lot of friends who were in the outdoor industry and just talking to them and then I got a really realistic view of how long it might take and how much I'm able to give in terms of my time and commitment um, so I knew that it would take at least three years for me and I'm still aware of that especially with my business and because of the how niche it is it's it's in a country where any any time politically it can shut down again um, so you have to be aware of all these aspects and just be a bit more realistic but what I knew was definitely not immediate result and it was a slow but very satisfying and rewarding process excellent well we're gonna get to commercial break again after the break we're gonna explore this sort of balance with uh, you know being a mom and um <clears throat> Uh, and about uh, we'll find out a little bit more about you know, what you might experience on a Persian pursuits adventure as well. So do join us again. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi there, it's Chris, Chris Cooper. We're talking about making what you love your living with Shirin Shapastari. And uh, I was just uh, talking during uh, the break with Shirin and asking her a question about visas. And there might be people you know, listening at the moment from, you know, a lot, we have a lot of people listening from America and Canada to the show. And in fact, um, every month there's over 50 countries um, access 
people from 50 countries access the show. Um, so I'm kind of intrigued, uh, Sharon. You know, if, um, for example, you know, say I came on one of your trips or I was an American who came on one of your trips, um, could there be any problems getting back into America with, um, you know, the, the situation around uh, visas and those sorts of things and in this sort of political um Right. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I think that's a very valid question. It's a question I get from a lot of people. I mean, most of my clients are UK-based, um, and um, I've had a few American or Canadian clients. With the Americans going back to America, there's no problem. No problem. But with, no. no, but with the British, um, who normally wouldn't need a visa, I suppose, to go to the U.S., if they've been to Iran, they need to apply for a visa then to get to go to the U.S. But it's just a very straightforward process, I'm told, and, and, and they get a 10-year visa basically, which, um, so it's just a bit of a hassle, but it's, not, you know, there are ways, if you really want to go to Iran, you know, there is, it doesn't stop you from going. Um, the only, pro, uh, I guess, thing that people might want to be aware of is that if you've been to Israel, that might be an issue, so, um, and I think that's it, really. Apart from that, Iran welcomes most people. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so that's you, that's, that's, if you've been to Israel, it's on your passport, that could be a... A bit tricky. Yeah, that. but I think they do not stamp anymore. So maybe you can ask not, not you know, for your passport not to get stamped. Oh, okay. As far as I know. I was a bit sad, but I don't get my passport stamped. I'm <laughs> feel a bit short changed. Yeah. I, I used to have this. Um, I'm digressing, but I had a, a passport that I was really proud of because it was absolutely rammed with stamps. Oh. <laughs> and then um, I was with my parents and. Uh, I, um, I was traveling at that time with uh, a job a couple of times a month by plane abroad. And um, <coughs> excuse me, my dad saw my passport and, and that the uh, it was starting to peel away um, <laughs> from my photograph. So he took it into the garage, thinking he was doing me a favor, and uh, stuck some adhesive on it and glued <gasps> it back together, at which point it all turned purple. Oh, so my God. I, so I had to go into the passport office and try and explain what had happened. And they, uh, I filled out various forms and this issued me a brand new passport, but they had to burn the old one. You have to hear my passport story. You know, when I was um, young, my dad had um, punched the passport so that I can file it. <laughs> Because we don't, oh, no. you know, we never traveled abroad, so it was just a document that you just wanted to find. So the first time I came abroad and my pa I just produced my passport. It's like this is not valid. It's expired. I'm like, no, it's not expired. Just like that was just my dad. But <laughs> I had to always come up with an explanation. Luckily, I I got it. You know, I got it renewed. So got rid of that now. <laughs> so we, just, we we touched a little bit about I think on you you know being a mum and being away from home. How do you best balance that? Because that is. For some people, you know, being away from yeah. children is, is uh, quite a wrench. Yeah, let me say one thing. I've definitely achieved more and done more um, ha after having my two children. <laughs> so that might be, uh, you know, something encouraging out there. Defin I definitely, I always wanted to have kids. It was the best thing that um, has ever happened to me. I have two beautiful boys who are now aged 10 and 6. Um, and I loved spending with my First one, I did my full-time master's. I remember I was at King's College doing a master's. I managed to get a distinction. I don't know how. Uh, but, you know, I, he was only one. But with the second one, I kind of took time off, and I was at home full-time, you know, until he was 
nursery age really and I really enjoyed it but what I did then do during when he when they were little was I got into indoor climbing and the brilliant thing about living in the UK is that kids go to bed very early here <laughs> so <laughs> 7 o'clock and that's the, <laughs> <laughs> well I think that when they were younger wouldn't they I think my, my, my you know when they were under five so you used yeah. to send them to bed by seven, which was brilliant because the climbing wall was open till 10 o'clock. So I would just go to a climbing wall every, you know, two, three times in the evenings after I've put the boys to bed. So, I mean, that just kind of, I mean, there are d- ways doing things around kids. We could, we could run pushing a buggy, you know, in terms of physical fitness and, you know, challenges and things like that. I think what is tricky is travel. And, and I've had to travel when I've organized expeditions. I've had to go earlier to arrange logistics and do the shopping and, you know, receive the team. And I have to leave after them when they've left and make sure that I've kind of done all the paperwork and the accounts. It just means that sometimes I've been away for a month or if not two sometimes. You know, I also work on a research project and a book project, which means that I'm sometimes away trekking for long periods. Well, I've had to rely on the support of my husband, on the support of my family, my parents. And I think that's what it boils down to again. I think you just have to be very clever and use the resources that you have, the people around you, the support network that you have. If it's a neighbor, if it's a partner, if it's the kid's dad, if it's your parents and if, you know, and if it just means you have to travel you do and for me how I balance it is the quality of the time I spent with my kids I might be away for a month or two in the year on expeditions but then I'm back here every school pickup and drop off and clubs and performances and activities Christmas presents and cards and you know I'm living the school life and I might be away as I said might be away for a month but I'm living older and I'm very involved with my kids you know with play board games every day I take them climbing and so I really try to spend a lot of time and really see them grow up um, and they love it to be honest they've never had any child crying after me they've always been you know happily saying goodbye to me and um, and when I'm back they're very delighted to see me and ask for pictures and my son is very very proud he always talks about me he shows off at school and, <laughs> and takes like whether it's a rock or a porcupine spine that I brought from a mountain or fossil he always takes to school and he's actually an ambassador for diversity and equality and he's very proud that you know he's got a mom who does uh, roles that usually are done by men how brilliant <clears throat> brilliant I, I was away in uh, Kenya last year and I, I was and hadn't been away from the family long haul like that for a long time mm. and uh, I was a bit worried about how it was going to go actually um, but what I found brilliant was the fact that you know today you've got things like Skype so I was able to speak to them at oh, night yeah. and, and see me and and uh, I I also um, was really surprised that when I got back how much more I was appreciated totally. <laughs> and, and, and I went into their school and bought all sorts of African Maasai things and did little talks in their schools they were proud of that but uh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to be doing a talk at my kids' school and I always, you know, I come back with stories, you know, I've seen a bear and my son's very much into animals and he's very excited that his mom has actually come across a bear in the mountains. I think what is the, the, the other thing, you have to kind of see the other kind of, pos- I'm very good at trying to see the positive side of things as well. It has really brought... Um, my kids very close to their dad and and to the grandparents as well so if i mean i've kind of thought okay i'm away for a month but that means they've had brilliant quality time with their grandparents or with their dad mm. uh, so you know that's kind of balanced it out in that way again yes yes so the, so yeah, t- <clears throat> opportunity to be 
you know, have some intense time with uh, with them Absolutely. and get to know them and experience them. Yeah, no, I think that's really um really very very valid. And so, when you look back in your old age, I always say to people, you know, and I say talk about it from my in my perspective. I want to be able to look back one day and sit there with my slippers on yeah. as an old, old man and and you know be able to enjoy my life just by reflecting upon it again you know and all the adventures and things that have happened i mean what will you when you're uh, sitting there maybe in your 80s or 90s and, and you're not able to really go out and climb those mountains again <laughs> you know what what will be in your mind about what you've actually achieved and what persian pursuits have achieved i'm sure i would have a sparkle in my eyes smile in the corner <laughs> of my mouth i've had so many adventures honestly if i just dropped it now i think i'll be very i have lived a very happy full life i've lived every moment of my life i've always been a dreamer and chased my dreams and even if it didn't work out i've just kind of thought well it's okay on to the next one so i'm very happy that i've given this a, a go and if it doesn't work out i know that when i'm old and i'm going to look back i'm not going to regret anything and i'm just happy i've tried and what is left is just incredible number of friendships and um memories that i've made i mean i've been to such amazing places in iran that you know people wouldn't end up being you know i've survived river crossings seen bears and you know it's just a lot of amazing experiences that i've had spent six days trekking running out of water and meeting some amazing people along the way these are the memories that are going to stay with me and i'm going to hopefully tell my grandchildren when i'm old and i'm hoping that i can still rock climb indoors or something when i'm that age yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got me. Yeah, my mind's going back. I, I spent a little bit of time uh, in uh, British Columbia and um, was on a floating reserve and went to see grizzly bears catching salmon. And oh, wow. It's really amazing. And I've got this little story where um, I was pushed out with my wife in a, a tin boat into a into a stream to get to the other side. And there was, um, oh. we suddenly there was a huge grizzly um, where yeah. we were heading. So we we stopped and looked at it. And then... Uh, the the guide I was with decided to retreat to the other side, but when he looked around, there was a grizzly on that side as well. So we were in this oh, little, oh, little stream with grizzlies on both sides, but they were so full of salmon, they weren't really bothered about mm. us, but they were huge. Um, but it was quite an amazing experience. Yeah, a lot of what we call type two fun. So it's not necessarily fun at the time, but you come back and it's just like, wow. <laughs> You don't, you don't forget it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, was actually, absolutely. it was actually the words that the guide uttered that did get me slightly nervous, but I won't repeat them on, uh, on air. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, tell me, we've only got about um, another sort of couple of minutes before I need to yeah. up. But I wonder, two or three minutes, but I wonder what would people experience if they came on a Persian Pursuits adventure, what would, yeah. they, what, what would the experience be like for them? So when it comes to the treks and... Um, climbing down van because that's my signature trip i i definitely make it clear that it's about a journey i don't guarantee summit successes i don't kind of measure my success of the business by how many people i've put on the top um i make it clear that it's about the journey and they, um, and so um people really enjoy that and they come to experience iran and look at iran through its mountains and um what is really, really important for me is not to become this kind of hugely commercial. Um, that's why I want it to stay small. When I go to Iran, I like to use small family-run businesses. I want to connect with local people. I, I'd rather take my team to a small 
family where the wife cooks uh, homemade food and we try traditional Iranian food than some fancy restaurant in Tehran, you know. So that's kind of my approach to it. I, I get involved. I meet people. I, I mean, I, I um, whoever locals I meet, I, I take their number. I, I take their photographs back next year. So I ha- I'm slowly, slowly building this network of amazing local people. And I'm just hoping that through adventure tourism, I can give something back to this local yeah. environments and families so most people who come with me often end up in my aunt's or cousin's house for a cup of tea or, <laughs> or friends and having a friend and you know joining us in the camp and singing and playing the traditional musical instruments tar you know there's a lot of that. so it's just really um immersing yourself in the Iranian world and experiencing it like a, a, along with the other Iranians so a very personal um, journey Sounds wonderful. No. And, and do, you, do you have a final message that you'd like to leave us with? Um, I always say dream big, <laughs> dream <laughs> and dream, and always look at it and, and um, just say, why not? I think it's, um, as I said, you just live life um, once, so love life and live every moment of it, look at everything as a possibility and um, and go chase it. I think that's the most important thing so that when you're older, you don't say, oh, I wish I had done that, you know. Just go and do it. And if it doesn't work out, then fine. You know, don't be obsessed with the result. Enjoy the journey. Brilliant. Sure. I've, I've loved talking to you today. I've, I really have enjoyed your, your energy and your, your passion you. for around and mountaineering and, and what you're doing. And, you know, you've certainly convinced me that, not that I need you <laughs> saying that you, you should go and, you know, follow your, your vision and, and your passion and, and go for it. But obviously there's some, some caveats to, to that. It mm-hmm. may not suit everybody. Um, don't don't take this as being permission for you to go and do it. You need to make that decision yourself. Um, but uh, you know, life can really be enriched, and your contribution by you know following this idea that you you have. So you know, once again, thank you, Shirin. Really, You're been welcome. Back. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to Cathy O'Dowd for introducing us. And if you want to find out more information, um, is it PersianPursuits.com, Shirin? Is- that's right. That's the website, www.persianpursuits.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're into photos, I try to keep updates about trips and just my own crazy life on Instagram as well. Wonderful. Well, do, do connect with Sharon on, on those uh, things. If you've got any questions and things or points of um, feedback on the show, you know, please get in touch with me, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Always good to hear from you. On next week's show, a really interesting show, I've got uh, uh, Dan Cashel, who's been on before, serial entrepreneur, run 11 businesses, um, very involved with the Genius Network in the, the US. Uh, and also Casper um, Craven. And Casper is a, a speaker, an ont- entrepreneur with businesses in the UK and America. And, but he took two years out and he took his children, three children, his wife, um, sailing around the world. Uh, and Dan and I had this idea. We started chatting one day about um, all the inspiration and ideas that we got from, you know, the challenges of having kids. And so we decided that we would do a show on the business lessons that you can learn from your children, and uh, you know, some of those skills that you utilize uh, from your with your children, uh, how they can help you be even more effective in business. So we're going to talk about that with Dan Cashel and Casper Craven next week. Um, and so in the meantime, have a wonderful week. And again, thank you to Sharon. Thank you to you all for listening. And get in touch if you've got any thoughts, questions, ideas, because we'd love to hear from you. Thank you all. Cheers. Thanks.
We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.